Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? Welcome along to episode 67, part B of the Howie Games featuring Ben Graham. If you haven't listened to part A, stop, go back and listen to part A first. Alrighty, if you're in the right spot, we are going onwards towards the Super Bowl with Ben. I've got about a thousand questions out of the last 15 <laughs> minutes you've been talking about, Benny. How does... I've done an episode with Andrew Bogut recently and he was explaining how individual American team sport is and how it's rare to foster a team culture for the very reasons that you're talking about. Everyone's so competitive on your job. I'll hit pause. So how does an NFL team celebrate a win is it just like a game of footy everyone gets in there and well done mate or like what happens yeah well they're there and you learn this pretty quickly that it is an individual uh it's a it's a group of talented individuals that come together because the team is different every year that try and make it work with their coaches for that year there's not a lot of long-term planning around it obviously there's some great players that sign long term contracts and they're going to be there for a while but there are a lot of clicks and I didn't I underestimated the oh you'd you'd say we're talking 2005 that there are a lot of divisions in an NFL locker room in an AFL locker room everyone is pretty similar they come from similar backgrounds they they know the landscape the culture's the same similar but in in America there are African Americans, there are, you know, there are white guys from Texas. There are, there are, there's, there's so many different divisions, and and to the point where you look at it and think that it's, it's, they've crossed some racism lines in the locker room with the way people interact, and so it was a real, a real, eye, real eye opener. What, where I placed myself was, was. You know, and I, I said I, I was more Australian in America than I am in Australia. <laughs> yeah, I not hammed it up, but I was, I was. Didn't matter who I was with, or who the groups I was with, or who I was dealing with. I was just the Aussie, the happy-go-lucky Aussie guy that everyone loved. And how um, were you received by your teammates? Were you an oddity? Yes. G'day, mate. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, I, I was, and I, and I enjoyed that part of it. You know, I'll never forget when Brett Favre came to New York. It was a big deal. We are playing a pre-season game in Cleveland, and he walked into the locker room for the first time, and his locker was next to mine, and the first thing he said was, G'day, mate. You know, <laughs> you and me are going to be mates. We're the same age. You know, like, and we hit it off. Um, yeah, but it was... A lot of it, though, comes down to your performance mm. because I learned early on, Kevin Mawai, who's a Hall of Fame centre, he said to me, because I was asking, what's his name? What's his name? Where's he from? What does he do? And he'd say, mm. I, I have no idea and I won't get to know him unless he makes the team. I'm not wasting my time on that. Wow. So it's, you know, he's a great guy, and but that's just a reality of that many players from... Because huh. when you think about... Kids grow up, most athletes play high school football. I think 3% of high school football go to, on to college and 1% of college footballers go on to play in the NFL. 1%. And if you don't make it, because there's hundreds and hundreds of colleges in America, um, 
if you don't make it into the NFL, you don't play anywhere else. They're hanging their hats on high school careers and college careers. And even NFL players, after a great NFL career, still hold their college career at higher esteem than their NFL career. <laughs> so there's... Yes, there's 32 teams with 53 players on the roster, but there are thousands and thousands of ready-made NFL athletes on the street to come in and take your job. And I saw it day in, day out. Friends that you'd build over years and years that are good soldiers for your team will get cut and replaced by someone just because the recruiters think that they're higher on the list <laughs> how how are you? What's the culture of how you receive it, Benny? When you get the tap on the shoulder, like, have you seen? Do blokes blow up, or do blokes rave and rant, or do they literally do it like you see the movies where they put the helmet in the bag and they walk out and they could be off to another club or yes. they could have finished their career? We get a good insight into some of the NFL productions now through training camp, and um, that that's exactly what it's like. And I faced it. Um, on a number of occasions, because the 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 first the first three and a half years at the Jets were fantastic, because I was just allowed to play, but and and I had really great numbers. But as the longer you're in the league, the higher the expectations of you are. So every bad punt becomes more noticed, um, and it got to the point in. 2007 where I'd actually led the league in every category in the preseason, and week two we're playing the Patriots at the Meadowlands and big rivalry AFC East Patriots Jets Brady's at the helm and I had four punts all backed up in my end zone and I just had to get it as far as I could and I didn't hit the ball very well on either of the punts Brady got good field position went bang 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 touchdowns they win on the Monday, I get to the club, tap on the shoulder, Ben, come up to the office, listen, we're going to release you. It just happened like that. I'd gone from ringing the New York Stock Exchange bell and appearing on Sesame Street and leading the league and breaking franchise records to having a bad game and here's your pink slip. How do you go when you walk out of that office? Mate, this is... I, I thought I was done. I spent two hours in the car. How am I going to tell Katie? How am I going to tell the kids? It's over. It's finished. I had no idea that that you know that I was going to get fifteen phone calls and have fifteen workouts in the next week and get picked up two weeks later. Hold that thought. There's a couple of things I want to ask you about that you've been talking to me about there. Firstly, um, from my experience. You talk about the Australian side of things. We mentioned Hutchie right at the start of the show. He took me out to training. What was the training field called? The training was called... Well, at that time, it was at Hofstra. So we went we went out to Hofstra, and there was a, a few things that struck me because they, we, we watched a bit of um, training. I didn't really know what I was watching. I remember it was bloody freezing um, because it, was, well, it, was, it would have been around that Australia Day time that we were talking about the cricket. And then it was... The first thing that struck me was like training practice whatever you call it finishes and all the beat journos everyone could go in now Hutchie through you probably organised a pass and we walked into the locker room and the first thing that amazed me was that the journos could talk to anyone of all the men in the room they could talk to anyone um, the second thing that struck me was you had a footy in your locker you had an Australian rules football in your locker 
the third thing that struck me was I could not believe the physical size of the men. Like, they were all wrapped in towels coming out of the showers um, and they were just a series of enormous physical men and the thing that always struck me and, and it sounds like such a cliche but I was chatting to one guy just about oh what's your job he's a friendly guy a big Afro-American guy and he's like so tell me is Ben the Michael Jordan of Australia a- and it was like these guys know nothing really about you um, but it was it was one of my favourite sporting memories Benny because it was just so surreal you had the footy Izzy the Jordan they're enormous men the journalists could do what they wanted it was a completely <laughs> different world mate it's still st- it, it sticks with me now. Yeah, I think that was after a game. Yeah, it could have been. Could have been after a game, um, yeah. But it was... Look, that. It, you're right. The, the media do have great access after every training session, after every game for a 15-minute period. They can ask any athlete whatever they want. Yeah. Um, it's, it's good and bad. Yeah. The, the AFL football in Malacca, I took it everywhere with me. Right. Just so I never forgot where I come from. I'd even use it from time to time when I wasn't punting the ball that well. I'd just get the sharing out and I'd go on, just get back to basics. Um, the physical, the the size <laughs> of them, and there's so many different positions, so so many different kinds of athletes are required. Yeah. But they are all at Olympic level at something. Wow. Whether it, you know, this is the way I used to explain Australian rules football. You, I used to say you need to be about a six to a nine out of ten in about six categories: speed, strength, skill, endurance, um, game sense. In in America, in the NFL, you only need to be ten out of ten in one thing. So when you see them lift weights, the big guys they're like they're at the Olympics. <laughs> um, you the wide receivers and the cornerbacks are like 100-metre sprinters. Um, you know, the the quarterbacks are like shooters, like they just can hit a target from any distance, <laughs> you know, at ease. Um, so they're the best of the best. But the size, and I, and I would notice this when I'd have all my ex-teammates come to the States to training or to a game, yep. and you'd look at them and you'd think, they're like little boys. I, had to, I was going in there, Benny. <laughs> They're like, like I'll never forget Tom Lonigan. Tom Lonigan wasn't allowed into the Arizona Cardinals training facility because of what he was wearing, but I'm glad he wasn't because he'd snap in half just as soon as they looked at him. What was he wearing? Oh, he was, you know, the young boys these days wearing some <laughs> pink shorts that look like boxer shorts and some ripped T-shirt and a pair of thongs. Couple more questions on that. Um, you said you were playing against Brady before he got cut. Obviously, his legend was growing then. Was and you may not have. Did you recognise something in him that was different to most of the QBs, or not? Or was he just another QB at that stage? Oh no, he was the prototype. He was the 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 tall, handsome quarterback that. He's your typical stereotype American quarterback that... All-American boy, apple pie. Oh, absolutely. Now, he'd done some hard yards, but he was, oh, to this day, still admit that, you know, he's my one and only man crush as far as... he, he He's a dead set and outright and proved to be and continues to do, prove that he's an absolute superstar of the game. Brady has it, throwing, touchdown! Um, back, but... We, as 
a Jets player had to come up against him twice a year, so yeah. we didn't have a lot of success. When we beat the Patriots, you touched on it before about what's it like to win in an NFL locker room. It's actually um, not too dissimilar to when you lose. <laughs> you walk in, you do a quick debrief, you take a knee, say the Lord's Prayer and jump on the plane or go home and do it all again on Monday. It's a very routine business, the NFL. <laughs> so not a lot of time to celebrate. It, that actually happens? There's a prayer and yeah, you take the knee? Even if you have no religious connotations or whatever, that just that's ingrained? Before and after the game. Wow. Um, something I want to ask you about here, when, when we're talking about how um, ruthless it is, and I rarely write stuff down, Benny, but you signed with New York a six-year deal worth it's public record 5.17 million US dollars so 7 million Australian dollars at 6 years at New York you, when you talked about the contracts earlier on when you get cut part way through that deal do you get the full payment or no you don't no right no when you sign a long term deal the important part of the deal is the guaranteed portion right so um, so, so can, can you give me an idea of what's guaranteed in a in a Five million US American dollar deal. You don't have to, mate. It's no, well, it's it's that's this is um, public knowledge. That yeah. is the the guaranteed portion can be broken up into many different ways. Um, there are signing bonuses. There are uh, roster bonuses. There are workout bonuses. Um, there are all sorts of bonuses. Um, there aren't a lot of uh, NFL contracts that see the very end of their contract and some are back-loaded, some are front-loaded. Um, to give you an example, um, well, Larry Fitzgerald, when I was at the Cardinals, he held out for a $100 million deal because he wanted to be ensure that the next wave of wide receivers, that was the benchmark. And then when I was at Detroit, Megatron, Kelvin Johnson, signed a deal for $132 million and thanked Larry Fitzgerald for... Right. What he did in that space, but of that 132 million, I think only 70 million was guaranteed. So okay. about so there's about half of it is guaranteed. Um, but the way it works is, from a game perspective, you get a game check. So if you're on a roster, you get paid 17 weeks of the year, and this is a real struggle for American athletes that may not have come for a, for from a lot that don't uh, aren't very good with their finances. They get a lot of money in a short space of time and unless they plan or make it last, it uh, goes pretty quickly in cars and jewellery. How, how do you have that conversation when it's in, in the paper that <coughs> um, a bloke signed tens of millions and like when he comes into the locker room, do you say congratulations or shake his hand or it's not talked about or because it is public knowledge there as opposed to here where... Oh, no, they're all up and about. Right. Oh, no, they... <laughs> They, uh, they 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 make sure people know about it, right? Um, but it means more to some than others, and I never forget. Like Lavernius Coles was a teammate of mine at the Jets, and he he had a troubled upbringing, but he was a great player, wide receiver, very quick. Um, he was the favourite target of the quarterbacks. Um, he he signed a deal. Um, with a significant sign-on bonus. And when we got to our lockers, we had our first 
checks for the year. And on one side, Lavernius Coles had his check, and on the other side, Ryan Myers, who was a linebacker from Akron, Ohio, who'd been scratching around on practice squads for three years, finally got his first paycheck. He opened his, and it was $14,000. And he was nearly in tears. He was going to pay the credit card off. He was going to be able to take his missus out. He was so thrilled that he was able to... Hard work had come to this check. Well, Lavernius Coles, he opened his check... And he was waving it around and he was jumping up and down and he was furious because he thought that this check was supposed to be the $10 million check, but it was only a $1 million check. <laughs> and he went straight upstairs. So you had one guy so appreciative of what he got and the other guy with a million-dollar check sitting there, but yet he was furious. Knowing that the $10 million sign-on bonus was coming, he thought this was the $10 million check. It's a one million dollar check, and he was furious. So, it's um, huh. it was a different. So that's you, you don't. I didn't experience that at the AFL, where no. guys would get their checks and would talk about how much they got and what it meant to them. And so, is it literally is the car park littered. divided by where you are? It's just littered with showroom vehicles. Yes, is it? What yeah. were you rolling in? No, I was very, uh, very humble, very, very modest vehicle. Times, if you won a, an award during the week, you'd get a special car park up up the top end. Right. Um, no, but there was some ridiculous cars getting around. There was some ridiculous amounts of money being spent on on cars, even old cars doing them up. One guy spent a hundred grand on a Datsun two eighty B, just because. Um, but Larry Fitzgerald's my favourite car story because, and I love Larry. Larry's um, he comes to Australia quite a bit. Catch up with him often. Um, but he he used to rock in with a different car every day because he he had effectively seven cars. So he had a Ferrari Spider and he had a Aston Martin. And he had a Bentley and an Escalade. And so depending on what day it was and how he felt, depending on which car he bought. So I asked him when you go back to Minnesota. Which car do you take with you, or which car do you have in the garage back home? What's your favourite? And he said, Well, when I went and bought these cars, I always buy two one for here and one for back home. <laughs> <laughs> it's all relative, Howie, you know? Um, anyway. You can see why it's impossible to stay grounded. So, Benny, back to the footy. And I, I have to refer to my notes here. So New York, uh, then you went to New Orleans Saints for one game. You were there for well, let me nine, nine days? Go on. Yeah, so... Um, have I written this wrong? You can't have been there for nine days. No, well, I'll quickly run you through it. So yeah, two, 2007... This is a fascinating podcast, by the way, Benny. Um, yeah. Um, it was... Two, so two, 2008 um, was was the best and worst year of my life. So as I said, I started started really well at the Jets and then got cut. And, and I'll try and keep this as brief as you possible. You don't need to, mate. There's a podcast where you can go for as long till you have to go somewhere. Oh. Uh, th- so I, I, I get released. I go to San Diego just to sink a few cans with Darren Bennett <laughs> just to... Sink a few cans. Just to get back, just to clear the head, because it, it was a pretty distressing time. While I was there, my agent, um, they couldn't get on to me, 
and they they got onto Rosemary and Rosemary drove down to the local high school and, and said, what are you doing? Your agent's trying to call you. The Jets want to sign you back. And I said, well, you know, stick it up their ass. I'm, 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 I'm done. And there's a thing with the NFL benefits where if you're a player that's been on a roster for three years and three games, then you become a vested veteran for all the post-career um, benefits. It would have been three seasons and two games. So at the very least, if you go back and you become a vested veteran, just suck it up. And I said, well, what, what happened? Why do they want me back? And they said, well, the guy that they signed to replace you did his hamstring during the week. But the ironic thing was is that the Jets were playing San Diego Chargers that, night, uh, that weekend on Monday Night Football, and I was already there. So I, I got to the team hotel the day before the game, and most of my teammates thought that I'd just gone back to Australia for the week. They bought in a, just a replacement punter for practice, and I'm back at the game. <laughs> so they didn't even know you'd been shot. Didn't even, didn't even know. Didn't even know. All my close mates did, but like it, that's how quickly people move on. So I punt um, that night and did okay, and then I punted again against the Chiefs back in New York week four, and thinking everything was fine, um, all they were waiting was for the other guy that did his hamstring to get healthy, and then they released me. Same, tap on the shoulder. It was actually team photo day. So we were in our locker room, walking, getting all our gear on, ready to go and get the team photo, and walking down the hallway to the team photo, got the tap on the shoulder, can you just have a quick run upstairs and have a quick chat to Mike Tannenbaum, the GM? Then we're going to release you. So I'm packing my bags and getting marched to the, the, to the car park, looking out the window, watching all the boys getting their team photo taken. It was... The second time was probably uh, worse um, because that's when I really thought it was over. But it was when I realised that all we are is just hired guns. We're just we, we, we're just expendable. At the drop of a hat, they can do whatever they like with you. So that's when the team started calling. They said, "Why are you on the street? You know, well, let's come in and work you out. Are you an upgrade on our punter? If something was to happen, we know you're available." thought I was going to get six or seven jobs during that next couple of weeks and it was it and it, I was at home in in New Jersey it was a really tough period because the Jets moved their facility from New York to New Jersey so everybody had to move across state and I know it might only be about 40 miles but it's like another world mm. um, and we're only you know getting to know that that area so we were I was in New Jersey got a phone call from my agent saying how far away are you from the Newark airport? And I said, oh, look, within the hour. I said, well, can you go, take your passport, you're going to London. So so I'm like, what? What's to London? What's happening here? So, yep, first class ticket. I'm flying Continental to London. The New, Orleans, New Orleans Saints are playing the San Diego Chargers at Wembley. Off oh, one of the NFL Europe games. So, yeah, so they've been playing... For points. For points. Mid-season. They're playing in London. So I I said, well, how's this come about? So Steve Weatherford was the punter for the Saints who had a bad game against Carolina. They went from straight from Carolina to London and they cut Steve coming out of the showers 
because he'd had a bad game, just said, mate, we're going to cut you. You're not going to London. <laughs> so I'm in, I'm in Grosvenor House in, uh, in, in the, it's where the English Premier English soccer team stay when they're preparing for a World Cup. It's beautiful countryside manner with, oh, amazing. I get a knock on the door. The porters said, oh, Mr. Weatherford, I've got your bags. <laughs> so room's booked under his name. Yeah, they'd flown his bags. The bags had already been oh. sent to London. So I'm rocking up to the team meetings. Like, I didn't even work out with them. Didn't know anyone? Didn't know anyone, except for the media manager who had looked up my history and got all my highlights tapes and introduced me as the superstar from... So I had to relive it all again. <laughs> Everyone, you know, talking about your career and your highlights and this guy's the man and all this type of stuff. Anyway, we we won the game. We... We had a great week in London, fantastic experience, met all my new teammates and got back to New Orleans, started looking for a place to bring the family over and Sean Payton's called me and the kicker in to have a chat, what we thought was a chat, and the first time ever a punter and a kicker has been cut on the same day mid-season. So you cut then again? Cut then. So you were actually there for nine days? Yeah. Signed on the 20th of October, released on the 29th of October. I couldn't... I, I thought it, I'd written that down. Right? <laughs> no, 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 you had no, a win, though. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So you had a win, though. Had a win. I was... So so I was furious at this. Like, I was... Wow. I was circumspect as far as... Yep, okay, I get it now. The, this is the industry. You're, you're a hired gun. Okay, so why did they need me? What? Why Why me? So they cut Steve Weatherford, and they said, we're going to London to play. Where's our list of punters on the street? So they've called their top guy. Sorry, I don't have a passport. They've called their next guy. Said, oh, he's, he's hurt his hamstring, um, so he's not available. Well, who's the next guy? Well, Ben Graham, he's got to have a passport. He's from Australia. <laughs> they used me because I had a bloody passport. Oh, mate. So, so again... Back home, and by this point, and Katie tells a story. She, she, oh, I wouldn't admit it back then, but I was went through a real depressive stage of don't know where it was heading. Um, do we stay? Do we go back to Australia? The kids, you know, they're at an age now where you know they know what's going on. Um, we just had Jack. Jack was born in New York in two thousand seven, so he was only you know eighteen months old, and it was. I'm. I'm getting up in the morning going out freezing cold minus temperatures in New Jersey trying to kick the ball around waiting for the phone to ring like it was a t- really really tough lowest point of my of my career and my life probably um, because you just you don't know what was next that was the has it become too hard so at this point after a fantastic start to the year, this is now at rock bottom, I get a phone call from the Arizona Cardinals who want to bring me in for a workout. They're going on a bit of a playoff run for the first time in a long, long, long time. Their punter wasn't going very well, but they had an explosive offence. Kurt Warner, Larry Fitzgerald, Anquan Bolden. They wanted a guy that had the ability to pin opposition teams deep. And I'd been using the drop punt, and during the workout... Every punt landed on the one-yard line and spun backwards. 
and they went, I think this is our guy. So it was predictable. That yeah. the kick was predictable. Yeah, so every time, if if the offence could move the ball, even if they stalled at midfield, then the opposition would start way, way back and have a long field to work with. So they typically kick torps, Benny? Oh, absolutely. Before Darren and then before myself and Matt and Sav, they're all actually using them now. Right. Oh, Pat McAfee was a Indianapolis Colts punter. He'd come in the warm-up and say, hey, hey mate, can you teach me how to do this drop? This right. drop punt, they all do it now because it's it's accurate, it's consistent. They don't get a lot of distance with it, but when the time's right, they'll use it. <laughs> I used to use it all all the time going in. Um, so I won the job, and on the first the first punt for the Arizona Cardinals, we're playing Minnesota Vikings. I hit a beautiful punt right into the corner. I'm admiring it. The boys are wrapping the guy up. He breaks a tackle, gets free. I'm one on one in the in the in the field with him. This Olympic kind of athlete that just zip, 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 runs past me like I'm not even standing there. They say, "Hang on, I thought you were this guy from Australia that can tackle and do this." And I say, oh, "I just should have tackled him in the corner over there." He's run for a touchdown, my first return touchdown in my career, given what I'd gone through. I ran off the field thinking that I was going to get cut on the spot. After one kick. After one kick. In the game. In the game. But Kevin Spencer, the special teams coach, put his arm around me and he said, mate, I know what you've been through. Don't worry. We're going to stick with you. you. You're going to be with us for the long haul. And that's all I needed. And punted lights out for the rest of the game. Ben Graham has become a weapon for the Cardinals. This guy is incredible on the short field. We made the playoffs in the first playoff game. I had five punts, four inside the 20, three inside the 10, one led to a safety. The coach said that Ben Graham's the reason why we're in this game. Like, that's why we punt. That's why we signed him. Like, I felt truly part of something special. And before we knew it, we beat Atlanta. We went to Carolina and beat the number one seed there. Jake DeLome threw four picks. Next thing, we're playing Philadelphia Eagles in Arizona with Sav punning for Philadelphia. We're before the game, shaking hands, going, mate, one of us is going to the Super Bowl. It didn't matter who it was. We just There was going to be an Australian play in the Super Bowl. And then, yep, two weeks later, we're in Tampa Bay playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. Right. And, and in Super Bowl 43. Back to Ben in a moment. Now, if you've got any thoughts on the show, please send them through on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram at MarkHoward03. It is always great to hear where you guys are listening from, what episodes you like, etc. Super. The last episode of the show featured big-hitting batsman Chris Lynn. Through that period, um, having been so close to, to Phil, there's so much more to life than... You know, as a kid, you've you've always wanted that dream of having the baggy green, but having a, a loss of a close mate, it, it made me realise what what's life about, what's what's important in life, and for me, playing for Australia is not the be all end all. That's Linny on episode sixty six. In previous series, we have mentioned private Howie Games podcasts. If you have loved ones, friends, someone that has inspired you or someone close to you whose story you want to be recorded for posterity, 
please send us an email at thehowiegames at hotmail.com. That's Howie, H-O-W-I-E, thehowiegames at hotmail.com. We'll try and organise for me to sit down and have a chat just like a normal episode. It's not for broadcast, but for a family memory. Back to Ben Graham. You can be... Yeah, we're good for battery. You can be as expansive as you like here because the first Australian to ever play in a Super Bowl, you played in the grand final, you played with Gary Ablett Sr., you played against Tom Brady. Like, this is stacking up pretty good story here, Benny. Tell me everything you can about Super Bowl week and the Super Bowl. Yeah. And take your time. I can see you smiling at now, which is fantastic, mate. I'm well, fascinated by this. Yeah. It, well, it came around really quickly. Obviously, four weeks before the playoffs was four weeks that I had to prove to my team that I was a capable punter and was going to play my role in, in where we wanted to go. The playoff series, we just built so much momentum and, and you know, you, you think playing your role you get credit as much as anyone else because it takes every part of a team to get to that far in in, in a sport like the NFL any sport but the morning <laughs> the morning at breakfast before the Super Bowl I had a teammate ask me yeah where are you from are you from South Africa <laughs> so no after eight weeks they don't actually get to know you that well. They just are in their own little world preparing for their game and what they need to focus on. So that was sort of an insight into, well, wow, you know, that, it's sort of where we're, where we're going. But after we beat um, Philadelphia, I'd actually strain my groin during the game. So I'd spent most of that two weeks actually rehabbing. So I didn't punt a lot during that two weeks. But the first week you spend at home, at your facility, preparing for the game, installing the game plan, working out how you're going to pull the Steelers apart and how we're going to score them. The game plan itself, sorry to digress, how much... Because we see the, you know, the quarterback with the playbook on his wrist and you've got to be able to learn all the plays. How involved are you in that part of the game? Or no, we, we're only involved in what we need to know. So you've got no idea what the rest of the team's doing per se? Well, no, you've got an idea. Well, you, I mean, it, it was like another language early and understanding the X's and O's and the terminology. You don't run, need to know, but I'm an interested... Run me through some of the... Like, run, me, run me through the name of a play or typical terminology or, like, what is it? Well, you could come up with any, any terminology for any play. So any... So A play might be X, Y, cross, Philadelphia, Sydney, cross. They mean something different to every player in the huddle. And it just talks about who are the, who they're blocking, what route they're running, um, where the quarterback's read will be. So he's first looking there. If that's not open, then I'm going there. And then, and then there's some dummy calls in there. So if the defence think that they've cottoned on to what they're trying to do, that... They th- throw them off the scent. Like, it's very, very complicated. Do blokes get confused? Yeah, they do. And if they're confused for too long and they call them mental errors, they find themselves on the street. Mental errors. Right. So you're not, you're not up to speed with the play no, you've, book. They, 
so with all the meetings and all the practice and all the installations they'll still take their playbook home and they will study it like they're about to sit their year 12 exam like they say that if you don't know it you can't play fast and if you can't play fast you can't play in the nfl so it starts with the knowledge of the playbook and this is what training training camp you install the whole playbook so in in book terms it might be a foot high but for every game you take out parts of the game plan that you need for that particular week and you know some works and some doesn't and but that's what the coaches spend so much time doing working out which parts are going to work against that team and how much of a playbook does the does the punting does the punter have a playbook or is he just trying to no so we we absolutely we do cuz they the opposition punt return team have tells where they return it where their blocks come from what they're trying to how they're trying to disrupt it um we've got a protection unit it depends on which way we punt it there's obviously the elements you know the wind and the snow and what stadium we're punting in have we got a roof what stage of the game is it are we going to run a fake is it so there's a lot of moving parts but the essence really for a punter is get it and kick it <laughs> right so, so go back to to the the week the two week lead up sorry so the yeah the first week you spend installing the game plan um and then you travel we travel to Tampa Bay for the second week and you're effectively in lockdown I mean, you are you're not going anywhere without security. There's security guards on every floor. The perimeter of the hotel surrounded. Um, you, the, there's obviously an obvious buzz because you're about to play in a Super Bowl on that next Sunday. But at practice, there's helicopters. There's there's obviously there's people looking for tickets. There's people coming from Australia. There's I mean, it's media is um, is out of control. But we're sort of living inside the bubble. There's a media day, because I was looking at the media day last night on YouTube, and you had your own little, I don't know, if shelter is the right term, but there seemed to be quite a fair bit of interest. And I'm sure it was all, you know, the guy from down under and Jesus kangaroos. and The surprise package, the Arizona Cardinals, face five-time champions, the Pittsburgh Steelers, on Sunday in Florida. And Ben Graham will become the first Australian to appear in the game's premier event. These players are put on display like they were in a zoo or some kind of museum, and the questions can be far-fetched and silly and repetitive. But every now and then, you come across a new wrinkle. It's still a dream to me. It's still, I'm still pinching myself and I and honestly still can't believe I'm sitting in this position right now waiting for somebody. Ben Graham is a well-known athlete in Australia. He was a star player for years in Aussie Rules football, the captain of the Geelong Cats. It, I've learned to really appreciate this game as much as I did the AFL. If you had asked me that question two years ago, I would have said Australian rules football is a much better game to play and to watch. But now, after learning the idiosyncrasies of this game and what goes into it week in, week out, I'd say that both games are, are equally exciting to play and watch. Well, it's funny you mention that because there is. So the media day is where players have the opportunity to tell their story, to talk about their journey. But the club um, picks 10 players to sit in a booth. So it's generally your quarterback, your start running back, your wide receivers, your playmakers on defence. So 
I was told that I'm sitting in booth number 10. <laughs> you and got a booth. You got a booth. I got a booth. The man from Leopold. And my teammates that didn't get a booth were furious. <laughs> Who is this guy? This South African. <laughs> this were, we, were, like it was serious, you know, and, and I was quite humbled by it. Um, and after the initial media swarm at Kurt Warner and Larry Fitzgerald, my booth became the biggest hub for the world's media because they thought I had the best story to tell based on where I'd come from. And I had that opportunity to tell it. So all sorts, from the kangaroos down the streets to the guys in the big white coats and the big white hats that signal a, <laughs> signal a goal in the AFL to to drop punts to... The whole the the whole repertoire of of my story um, on on that media day, and you know, there's the world's media. You're talking the reaches of billion <clears throat> people. That sort of when it, I realised how huge it actually was. Um, but as far as a distraction goes, th- it, there's no such thing. It's all part and parcel. If you don't enjoy it and lap it up, well, then you don't deserve to be mm. playing in the Super Bowl. The uh, the night before was uh, was difficult because you couldn't sleep. You're that excited. Um, you, everywhere you looked, everywhere you read, it was all about who's going to win and you know the the buzz around the city and the game and and uh, and it was a bit about the Steelers because that was all about one for the thumb they'd won four they were going for their fifth in a short amount of time they're obviously a dynasty we had um, you know we we really truly believed the momentum that we'd built over the four years uh, the four games we had everything that we needed to to win the game and you were on a, a, a pretty long losing streak weren't you like you were the Cinderella story you guys yeah. as far as we were we were t- uh, t- t- tainted as the worst playoff team in NFL history right but you're in the Super Bowl yeah, but we made it through the Super Bowl so yeah it would have been a fairy f- fairy tale it was a fairy tale anyway but um, the the game itself I had the ability just to deal with it as far as just treat it as another game. Um, it was only really at halftime when... Before you get to that point, what, what, what is... So you're... Everything's going on on the ground. You're down in a, in a locker room somewhere, I presume, hidden away. What, what's what's the, the coach, what's the last message he's giving a team that's about to run out in the field in a Super Bowl? Well, there's no great speech. There's no... There's no recipe via a speech that is going to get the players... There's no inch at a time, like in that famous movie. Well, no, but that, those speeches happen every week. Do they? Yeah, but it's all... It's it's very individual and in lines as far as, you know, you've got your offence, but then you've got your quarterbacks, and then your wide receivers and your tight ends and your running backs and your offensive line. Like, they're all preparing, making sure that they're ready. There's, they only really bring you together as a team uh, before you run out mm-hmm. um, after you've taken a knee to say the Lord's Prayer. So you run out? So you run out to start the game. But the, the but from a punter's perspective, you're warming up two hours before the game because you can't get near a patch of grass to find a spot to punt the ball. When the game starts, and like any game, you don't know when you're going to be required. 
you could be punting after the first series or you might not even punt at all. So you've got to be mentally prepared and you've got to use the net to get your technique right. The net? It's an, like a net, a kicking net on the sideline that you kick into to, to, uh, to warm up. So you warm up a lot because you're third down, you're punting, you're on the sideline ready to run out and they get a first down. So you go back down, sit down and relax and, and then you warm up again and then so it it was a they 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 had the advantage in the first half, particularly because Kurt Warner threw a pick to James Harrison right on the half time siren well, half, when the clock was about to expire and ran it back for a hundred yard touchdown. Seventeen seven down at half time. Yeah, so we were going in to score, so it was. It could have been as much as a fourteen-point swing. If we were to score, it's we're up fourteen ten. If we score a field goal, you know, scores a level. So at half time in the Super Bowl, the locker room wasn't a great place to be, and it's not like the AFL where, you know, you can't just leave the locker room and spend the next fifteen minutes outside away from the emotion and the yelling and the screaming and the what's just happened and you have the ability to do that in the NFL so I went outside and you can walk out sat on the bleachers and watched Bruce Springsteen strutty stuff in the no you didn't did you front row seats (laughs) and it was was Springsteen was it yep so you just snuck out and then yep yeah, because there's nothing. No, there's nothing you can do. And the, the, we were in the away change rooms at Tampa Bay, and they were small and dingy. And you, you just, I just, you know, wanted to get out of there and clear my head and um, watch Bruce Springsteen. It's <laughs> extraordinary. Yeah, it was good. It was um, it, but we came out in the second half and we put it to the Steelers to the point where, with a minute and thirty-seven seconds to go, I think it was two minutes. Two minutes. Just two, two minutes, minutes 30 thirty-seven seconds, seconds remaining. There you go. You know your stuff. Well, you do write I, things down. Yeah, I wrote a couple of things down. Um, you blokes took the lead with two thirty-seven remaining, and you were leading with still. They scored at thirty-five seconds to go, Benny. Yeah. Yeah. So that um, that. The fact that we got back into the game after what had happened and took how much, the lead. How much impact? How much um, game time have you had at this point? So I'd had a few. I'd had a few punts, but there's one punt in particular where um, we we punted and Mike Adams down the punt on the two yard line. So it was a it was a good punt, and Ben Roethlisberger got the ball in the end zone, but there was a penalty. Was penalty in the end zone to safety, so we score, we get two points, and they've got to kick the ball back to us, so mm-hmm. we get the ball again. So at that point, um, there's nothing more that we could do. We'd done the best punt, we gave our team the best field position. They've capitalised the safety. They get we get the ball back, um, which led us down to to take the lead. Um, and at that point. There's really not much more you can do other than if there's a field goal required or an extra point on the holder. The punter is generally the holder for the field goal kicker. Oh, we thought we were going to win the Super Bowl. Oh, it was crazy. It's amazing. You can't contain your emotions on the sidelines when, you know, because you're you're up and then you're nervous and then Ben Roethlisberger converts a fourth down and then we get a penalty against us and then he pulls off a miraculous pass and they just keep moving the ball down the field and it goes from 
so much excitement and to almost horror. And then when Santonio Holmes catches a ball in the back corner of the end zone. Roethlisberger, has time, throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown by Holmes. And there's a review which seems like it lasts forever, and it's still contentious whether he actually got both feet down. I say yes. I, I do say too. both feet in, both feet down, and control of the ball. After review, the receiver controlled the football, came down on both toes, inbounds, touchdown is really on the field. You know, you, you, we still had a chance in the end to actually win it in the end. Kurt and Larry put on a show again to, to almost steal it again. But yes, it was devastating, and yes, having that lead at that point in the game, you were that, you were that close. But I honestly can say the fact that we didn't win it, it didn't really matter. It doesn't matter. Like, I don't I don't think, geez, my life would have been so mm. much better if we had have won that. We, It wasn't about whether we won or lost for me. It was about the journey that I was able to go on, the the change from the AFL to move overseas, for my family to experience, as hard as what it was at times, it wasn't about whether we won or lost. The fact that I was the first Australian to play in the Super Bowl, the fact that we still went to a ring ceremony because we won the NFC Championship, so the ring that we received for playing in the Super Bowl was the symbol of that entire journey. That was the, the pinnacle for from a sporting perspective. Um, and the memories and the, the relationships with the club and with the teammates that we played in it, it like me and Geelong in 95, I mean, we thought we were going to go back again the following year. We made the playoffs, but to get to a Super Bowl in the NFL with 32 teams and the amount of movement, and mm. it's, it's a very, very difficult thing to do. So credit to the Patriots and credit to the Steelers and all those that continue to find a way. But... The the Super Bowl itself, um, yeah, was 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 an amazing experience and something that I'll always hold hold dear. The fact that I was the first Australian to play in the Super Bowl. The television audience in America was ninety eight point seven million in America. I, I don't know what it is worldwide. Um, I think it was 350 million. They, there was the number they threw around at one point. You round that up, it's half a billion. You, <laughs> I know we joke about it. You can't go out on the field and think about that. Or you, there's no way you can perform, is there? No, no. Well, and this is what I said earlier around the AFL and innately built me for those moments to have the ability to put it into perspective and focus on what was important and put that all aside. And a lot of guys can't, couldn't. Some are better than others. Um, but but again, my punting on the day or in any given day is never perfect. It's never as good as you think it is and never as bad as you think it is until you get the arse. <laughs> <laughs> and I got cut Jets twice in two weeks, the Saints after week eight, um, all in the one year. Now, I went on to play for the Cardinals for the next few seasons and then 
there was the ugly time of the lockout, the NFL lockout, where the owners locked the players out and effectively reset everything. At that point, it was really difficult because my girls were starting high school and we made the decision for Katie and the kids. We all moved back to Australia and we would wait and see what once the lockout ended. When it ended and I went back to Arizona, Katie and the kids decided to stay mm. and knowing that my career in the NFL, if I was to get back into the game, which I expected I would, wouldn't be forever. Mm. So they're going to get a kickstart on the kids' education and setting our life back up in, in Australia. Uh, so I went back to the Cardinals, but everything had changed. Um, I went into competition with another punter. He beat me out. I was back on the street. Um, do I come back to Australia to my family? Do I try and get another job? In the end, I decided to come back to Australia. And, of course, as soon as I landed, I got the phone call from Detroit and they said, we want you in Chicago in 24 hours. I said, well, physically I can't because by the time I get on a plane at Tullamarine to LA and then transfer to Detroit, I'll get there at half time. As it turned out, the guy they signed instead had three punt returns for a touchdown and then they called after the game and said, get on a plane. For next week. For next week. So I, then I finished the year out of Detroit and played the next year before I got injured and called it a day. So <laughs> it's a... No, I just laugh about it, talking about it now, mate. Well, it's, it's... <laughs> that was why I, I was really looking forward to talking to you because I, I, I knew you had an extraordinary story to tell. I didn't understand how extraordinary it is, Benny, sitting across from me now, and it's bloody fantastic to listen to, mate, and, and I appreciate the depth you've gone into. W- what do you learn or what do you get... How do you get through those times that you described when you've walked into the GM's office and he said, basically, you're sacked? Those lowest points. What did you draw on? How do you get through those difficult times? Self-belief. I always backed myself in that I was going to be able to work hard enough and had enough talent to be able to make it work. And if I, if I couldn't make it work, it wasn't for the want of trying. It was, it was coupled with the support that I got from Katie. Like, you imagine... I mean, and a lot of people experience it. They, they're out of their comfort zone. They are in different environments and... It's at times lonely and depressing, and but her support and the family support was was amazing, and that's what got me through. But ultimately, for me to get back on track was how I performed. So you took your mental demons into a workout or in a game. It was inevitable. It wasn't going to end well. You had to continually trust and maintain self belief that in your ability. You know, even pulling out old tapes at Geelong, kicking out a fullback. Have a look at that. Just get it and kick it. Look how easy that looked. And you watch yourself punting and you think, geez, I look tight and I'm nervous and I'm trying to kick the ball too hard and no different to a golf swing. There were so many times when golf was my escape and we would, it would be the thing that would would get you back to say Hmm. it's a simple art and I'm good at it, and I'm going to keep working on it. It'll never be perfect. But in the end, 
uh, it was age, it was my body, it was my family back in Australia, and it was the right time to say, it's, it's time to move on with my life. I'd been such a structured, logical, uh, organised person, and what the NFL threw up was chaos mm. and the unknown and uh, ups and downs I never thought I would ever experience. So when it was all said and done and we moved back to Melbourne, all I was looking for was some st- stability. <laughs> um, and immersing myself in the community of family and friends and school and 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 the Western Bulldogs gave me an opportunity to... Uh, for really my first real job at the age of 40. <laughs> um, and that uh, is... I've really enjoyed this, the stability uh, and and that recreating those networks and relationships that this eight years living overseas um, has created had created a, a void in that area. I only really have one more question for you and then you get the question from the pickle to finish the whole show. <laughs> Um, you mentioned countless times, well, when you got into a kickoff situation to get your first job, and you've got such a limited time in the sphere of the game to make an impact. So anything you do well is magnified, and anything you do poorly is magnified. Your job's on the line. How do you perform at the highest of high levels with so much pressure on your performance because you get so little opportunity? Yes, that's that's one of the toughest things with the job. If you go in to your job thinking that you may lose your job if I stuff this up, you need to find ways to be able to turn those situations and strong mental approach to how I'm going to handle that situation. Um Look, it's again, like I, we talked about earlier, I wish I knew some of the stuff that I know now. <laughs> you'd apply it back then. When things weren't going well, there'd be things you'd do a little differently. Or when they were going well, you wouldn't take it for granted at, at times. But because you are, you know, you, you only get a finite number of opportunities, and sometimes you don't get any. And sometimes it's the one opportunity you get, which is the opportunity that costs you the team, to cost the game for your team. Um, but that's all part and parcel of the industry. I learnt after the first few years how cutthroat it is and what a massive industry it is and what rides on it um, to the point where I felt like I was in the movies when we played on Christmas night in Miami, which was beamed into Australia on Boxing Day, and everyone, I'd, I was imagining everyone was watching it, and it was pouring down rain, and it was a really low-scoring game, and I was the holder for the field goal, and the snap came through, and I fumbled the ball. Never fumbled a snap in my life even in practice, and the, I fumbled the ball, the kicker went to pick it up, and he got smashed, and it was still nil all. And the message came down from the owner's box, from the owner, 
you will wear gloves on the next snap or else. <laughs> you know, so you, you, I thought I'm in the movies and the camera's panning to the owner and this is what's riding on it and, you know, everyone in Australia is watching and I'm running out going, oh, my God, I've got gloves on. I've never worn gloves before. I've taken four towels out there to make sure that I can dry my hands and, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there on one knee looking at the ball going, if I drop this, there's going to be a hole that's going to open up in this ground and I am going to disappear. Well, as it turns out, um, I took the snap, I put it on the spot, Mike Nugent's kicked the field goal and we've won the game, 13-10, and we celebrated like it was Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, that there's not many jobs no. in the world and I know people travel for their jobs and they have their issues and hardships and challenges um, and I admire every Australian that travels, whether it be sport or business, but particularly sport and listen to your podcasts and you don't have to go very far to watch the boomers playing for Philippines or the yeah. surfers at Joburg or wherever wherever you're looking. Um, it... Uh, there are not many jobs in the world where almost every time you go to perform your job that you may lose it on an error or a mistake or a, or a bad result. Um, and that's sometimes hard to deal with. But um, I, again, the AFL has helped build me partly for that and... Um, and I've got to say that after I did return back to Melbourne, it did take some time as a professional athlete to... And you hear past athletes talk about some of their challenges that they find and that they experience. Well, I'm no different. Um, I've had some of those challenges, and but I'm lucky that I've got a strong family and they've supported me through it and I've had the stability of being able to go to work every day and live a normal life. One question that's out of place, but it's just occurred to me now. Concussion, massive in the NFL. Becoming more important in the AFL. Do you have thoughts on it? Well, I, I do. Um, and I only represent myself when I when I talk about it. Don't have to if you don't want to. From a person... Well... You know, I, sure, I was concussed playing AFL on yeah. a number of occasions, um, and I've since I've been back, I've done a number of things with with Deakin and, and concussion, and um, you know, there's been settlement lawsuits in in the NFL mm. around concussion. I, I wasn't um, concussed in in the NFL, um, but a dear friend of mine, Sean Morey, who I played with, he retired because of concussions. He was told that one more concussion, he may never live to see his four daughters grow up. He donated his brain to Boston University. Um, he was heavily involved in the NFL Players Association within, within the concussion research and the and the, the helmets and and so I learnt quickly how how concussion is a huge issue, and I'm so. Um, grateful that the AFL are taking it seriously and there's some 
tweaking of the rules to protect the head and the way they're managed and um, and it's we're still learning. Mm. Um, there's differing opinions within the medical industry about how to deal with it and whether post-career symptoms are because of the concussions or whether it, it's genetic or... So it's going to be ever-evolving, but the fact that it's a big issue is is a good thing because for too long in the NFL and probably in the AFL it, was, it wasn't treated as serious as it should have been. You ready for the pickle? You reckon I ask some hard questions? This is... Again, who you've now met, the pickle. Does a pickle make an appearance on every podcast? Yeah, pickle and pangy generally ask a question right, each. Okay. Sometimes only one of them gets a run. Sometimes they're like, no, that person doesn't really interest me. They were both very, very interested in you. Funnily enough, this uh, question came up over a breakfast, as you'll now begin to realise. Hi, Benny Pickle here. If I had to move to America, the food I would miss most would be Vegemite, because I love Vegemite. When you moved to America, what was the food that you missed most? Obviously, the question was asked when we were making breakfast this morning. Wow, that is a hard-hitting question. Um, you know, I, I was the same. I took a little tube of Vegemite wherever I, wherever I went. But, but we actually found a great little cafe in New York, an Australian cafe, um, bakery that right. would sell meat pies and sausage rolls. But we, we were so lucky because living in New York f- for the first three or four years living there, so many people would come to New York anyway and... We were blessed that they'd come and visit us and we'd show them around and we were like tour guides there for a while. But everyone that would come would bring something. Tim packages. Tim Tams, <laughs> whatever, Katie, you know, twisties, whatever whatever it was at, at the time. Um, we, we, never, we never went without. Um, but what, what our favourite thing to do was there'd be so many new things in America that weren't, weren't in Australia. So all we wanted to do was just get everything that we hadn't seen before or experienced and send it back to Australia mm-hmm. so the Australian people could have a look at this, this is cool. But then we soon realised from a business perspective that if you're taking something from America or a country of 20 million people, we should be taking the good things out of Australia yeah. and giving them to 300 million yes. people. Yes, um, So good on all the Aussies that... Um, <laughs> Export all our greatest products, including Vegemite and Tim Tams. And in, Twisties. And Twisties <laughs> um, into the great country of America. Hey, mate, I think we're at the end here. Um, we have gone one hour and 50 minutes. This might be a Mark Webber. It might become a two-parter. That's how <laughs> fascinating this has been, mate. Um, you blow me away. You blow me away. It's I, I didn't understand the full depth of your story. J- just to... And so thanks, mate, for, for being so good with your time and explaining it. Just a final question for... We have a lot of kids listening, which we're really blessed and a lot go Are to they training. still listening? Yes, they are. They are. Minutes? No, they are, because they go on and off to, with their parents <laughs> to training and stuff like that. For kids growing up, what's the most important thing you would say to them as far as their sport goes, Benny? Well, look, there's a couple of things there. Um I I tried everything when I was a kid. I didn't put my focus just into the one sport. I took a year off footy at one point to play tennis. And, um, but but what p- 
people, they need support. They need to listen to their parents. They need to listen to their coaches. Um, they need to have fun. That's mm. um, so simple. But if it's like anything, if you stop having fun, then you probably should find something else to do. You've always got to find the fun in it, even in the NFL, as hard as it was and as as sometimes as down as it could be, you always found a way to have fun. It's still a game. Um, yes, people make good livings out of out of sport, but you try give it your best and have fun. I love it, mate. It's been I've loved sitting here chatting with you, mate. I appreciate it. Um, it's just a ripping episode, mate. No worries, Howie. I'm glad that uh, it's been good for me too. It's good. been a it's been um, you know, there there are times like when the Super Bowl comes around every year, you, you get to put your head out and, and, you know, soak it up a little bit. But it's not often anymore that you get to sit down and, and talk to someone in that detail and relive some of the memories. And, mate, I, I appreciate you inviting me on because it's, it's, uh, it's been cleansing. Fantastic. Enjoyed it. Good on you, mate. Cheers, Benny. Thanks, Thanks mate. mate. Ben Graham, how about that? How about that for a sporting story? What a ripper he is. Thanks to Benny for his time, MJ and Das for getting it done whilst I'm in Africa on Howie's Tours, and most importantly, you all out there for listening. Until Thursday, March 14, with Tom Carroll, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try Listener